So welcome to the show. I'm David Speed. I'm Adam Brazier. And this is Creative Rebels. Uh, it's a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. We started our first company, Graffiti Life, in a small garage. Yeah, it wasn't easy. But we built the company up to the stage where now we're regularly working with brands like Disney and Nike. And we've been lucky enough to make art all over the world. On this podcast, we interview successful creators. Their advice will enable you to take action and turn your passion into a career. There's literally been no better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people are going to tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to tell you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. Hey Rebels, welcome back. Welcome back to the show, guys. I hope you're having a good week. Thanks to everyone who went over to the Graffiti Life website last week, graffitilife.co.uk forward slash blog and watched our, our Brazil documentary i was really proud of it i thought it was amazing yeah it's super good so thanks to everyone that uh that went over there and watched that really appreciate it and thanks to everyone who's been getting in touch with us throughout the week you can of course dm us at rebels create on instagram adam and i are both on twitter at david speed uk and at adam brazier uk there he is there he is what a professional <laughs> we're so radio right now um so i've been writing a blog this week and it is about marketing marketing for creatives yeah i think what you were telling me whilst researching for the blog you said you were looking for a few forums and asked a few questions there and people gave some really interesting yeah facebook groups i use facebook groups quite a lot for sort of market research i guess to mm-hmm. when i'm writing the blogs i kind of go in and see what people are worried about and yeah and i find a lot of those facebook groups are kind of like echo chambers of just like for like follow for follow and no one's actually really helping anyone yeah i've had experience with facebook groups a few times um where you do find people are just in it for themselves they're not really there to make the community that you'd hope it would be a lot of people are there and I think a lot of people do make a lot of good friends there but a lot of people just go there looking for a shortcut yeah it's hit and miss isn't it and I think once you get to a certain size in a Facebook group that can really affect it Mm -hmm. because I've been in in groups that have been really really good everyone's helping each other and then um the then the group explodes gets really massive and then people start taking it to totally different places and it gets weird I was kind of looking into what what problems people have around marketing. Yeah. And I mean, literally some people were saying, I don't like to do marketing. I think if you don't like to do marketing, you either need to find someone else who does like marketing to do it for you. Or if you can't do that, you need to learn to love marketing because without marketing, you're not going to sell anything. And it's hard to make money from doing what you love if you can't sell. Yeah, but how do you start marketing if you have zero money? I think social media is the best place for free marketing. Like you can put your stuff out there. You've got the potential to speak to anyone else on that platform. Like all you have to do is find someone who might be interested in your thing, go on their page, like and comment, talk to them, get into a conversation. It's called social media for a reason. So go and be social. Yeah, it's getting in front of people as much as possible, I guess, because I mean, we have, we'll always have sort of business cards with us when we're painting in the streets. And yeah we'll get stopped all of the time like oh do you do do you do this professionally people always ask you that and then then you give them a card and then every now and then it it turns into a job so that's because we're out there we're in front of them but we're not just in front of them there in the street we then post on our instagram we're in front of them there we post on our facebook on our twitter or everywhere just to to be kind of around those people think about marketing for free like look at what you did when we first started graffiti life like literally took an easel into the street 
like that didn't cost anything or cost you however much an easel costs and a canvas cost but there's no actual monetary expenditure really. i actually borrowed these also oh there you go <laughs> it just cost the the cost of a blank canvas um and then it cost me time because i spent my entire day on croydon high street yeah. drawing onto a canvas and giving out business cards to anyone who would who would stop by but it was effective because we got our first job from from doing that and then yeah. everything's been built from there i think if you've got a smartphone you can do that digitally you can basically go out there and try and connect with people the same way as you would in the street but it's just a lot comfortable and a bit less stressful going out there in person yeah and i think the good thing about online is that it it lasts forever yeah so someone can discover a, a blog post you've written from 2016 but if, yeah. the, if the content's good then they then discover you and they find out what you're doing in 2019 and it, yeah i think that's really nice about platforms like instagram youtube where if you put a piece of content on there it does last for a really long, long time and people will go back to look at it i suppose things like twitter don't really have that so much because people don't really look at what you tweeted in 2016 because it's probably not so relevant i suppose it's a bit more of a news platform rather than an actual kind of content platform you were saying about some of the things that people were saying and how they didn't want to learn marketing and they just wanted to yeah there was a lot of people who really strongly felt that they shouldn't have to do marketing like i almost got the impression that they were above it that they thought that that's not for them to do they're they're an artist so their work should speak for itself. And if you don't want to come and buy it, then you're an idiot. And I just feel like you you can't have that attitude. You have to go out there and find the people that are interested in your work mm. because they're not just going to find you by, ma by magic because there's too many other options. There's so much yeah. out there. You have, to, you have to get in front of them. I was saying to someone recently, think of it like you're you're printing flyers obviously that costs something imagine you're going to go print a thousand flyers or ten thousand flyers and going to go and put them through every single person's letterbox that's effective what you can do on social media but for free you can go into all of those different letterboxes with different user accounts and just speak to every single person in there tell them what you're doing because you might find someone that is actually interested in your product and especially because with social media, you can really find out what people are into by what they're posting. It's not like it's a blank door with an empty letterbox. You don't know who lives inside. You can see what that person's into. You can see who they follow. So if you can find people who have an interest in what you're selling through visually seeing it, then contacting those people, you're going to get way more response than just putting a flyer through someone's door. Yeah, 100%. So yeah, I, I think it's, it's difficult to to keep on top of marketing and I think mm. you can you can fall behind and a lot of people struggle with not having enough content yeah um, but that's when I say I kind of recommend to people to just pro post your process yeah because we have that like for a wall takes us one to three days to paint we don't have that piece of content that we can post every single day so I suppose the only thing we can really do and what a lot of artists can do is post the process and I think a lot of people are interested in process it shows that it shows your craft a bit more. It shows that you know what you're doing. And I think people find it fascinating. People want to see the journey to get to that final piece. Like when we started doing live art at events, the amount of good feedback we got by people saying, God, I see these final pieces, but I've never seen it actually done before. And people are like amazed by it. So I think, yeah, if you are creative and it takes you days or weeks to produce something, post those process pictures i think people are super fascinated by them like lisa king our guest today i remember her posting some ink in water and it just looked like that's one of my favorite things i've ever seen a post 
Yep, this week's guest is Lisa King, who's a print designer and an artist. She's created prints for names like Diane von Fostenberg and Armani before eventually launching her own fashion brand in 2013. Lisa worked as the right hand of William Baker, who is Kylie Minogue's creative director, and his mentorship gave her the confidence she needed to step out on her own. And she's never been afraid of doing that, stepping out on her own, setting herself deadlines, jumping in at the deep end and creating her own opportunities. In this episode, we talk about posting your process, staying authentic and taking the leap. I remember sitting in my flat, like white piece of paper. and I was like, okay, I'm going to give myself two months and then I'm going to go to Premier Vision, which is the big fabric fair in Paris and need to put together a portfolio. I just had to teach myself to draw again. Today we are super happy to be joined by Lisa King. Lisa is a print designer. Well, in fact, I'm going to let you. What what okay. is it that you do, Lisa? It's a mixed bag, really. I would say I'm a designer, also an artist, but I wear many hats. What I do, so yeah, I'd say that. Cool. So, how did you get to where you are? Because obviously now you're you're running sort of quite a successful fashion business yeah. selling your design it's been a funny funny old road so i i guess my kind of work journey st- i studied textiles at st martin's i have to mention that a very big part of my journey to this day with design and work is is dance because i kind of owe i had a really big passion for dance and i sort of i was in a dance company when i was at uni and one of the reasons I wanted to go to St. Martin's really was because it was right next door to Pineapple Dance Studios. I used to, I was like, I only want to go there because A, it's one of the best schools to go to and, and B, I know that I can go and take a class at lunchtime. For the first kind of two years of uni, I'd sit, I'd be weaving cloth and then I would go and pop and do like a hip hop class and then I'd come back and carry on weaving. <laughs> um, and also because in my second year of uni, I was in a dance company and my flatmate was at the time was dancing for Kylie Minogue, who, and I was like, I need to do some sort of work experience. And he very kindly gave my CV, very limited CV to uh, a creative director called William Baker, who's Kylie's creative director. And I got work experience in my first year of uni and that that's kind of where my my journey started I worked for Will in any spare time that I had all the way through uni which was like a really privileged place to be I mean it was mad it was you know I was I was studying at St Martin's weaving hanging out with my peers and then I would go and work on Kylie Minogue's wardrobe and we'd go on tour for the weekend in Barcelona and do a show and that was definitely kind of 50% of my education um, That's wild. Then, so um, so was William kind of a real uh, mentor for you? Yeah, he still is. Yeah, he's he definitely he definitely honed my taste. He loves he's a bit like a pop encyclopedia, I'd say. And, you know, I, I already loved all things bright and showy and stage worthy. And Kylie Minogue's, you know, she's amazing. And the shows that they used to produce together. I mean, William would oversee everything from like the concept, so the staging, the lighting, the costumes, he'd choose the choreographer. So it was right up my street. And it was just strange because when I started uni, I was dancing with, with all these amazing people. And then by the time I left uni, I was sat next to the creative director, basically auditioning my friends, which 
was strange. I'd kind of hide behind the clipboard and pretend like I wasn't watching, but uh, and let him make the decision. But yeah, it's uh, that's kind of what happened. That's insane. So, I'm um, so coming out of uni, you're working with. So I came out of uni and working with Will. I did six months on Kylie's tour. I did wardrobe on her tour. So we traveled all around the world. I worked 18 hours a day. I steamed a lot of feathers, I dressed a lot of men in jock straps. Great. Um, maybe delete that. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then I came back, and then he started a men's swimwear line called B Boy. So I kind of transitioned to working on that for three years, and basically didn't really know what I was doing, but was thrown into sort of running a business from scratch. And I kind of it was exactly the same time where my friends at uni were going to do their internships at McQueen and Westwood and everything. And they were starting that journey. And I was kind of gone off and I'd, I was basically starting a brand from scratch, but having to learn the other side of the business. So, you know, production, sales, logistics, press, and we got it into Selfridges and it was suddenly like zero to a hundred and kind of making it up as we went along, you know? So how do you get your brand into Selfridges? <laughs> Maybe William Baker and your... <laughs> I mean, he designed this line based on Helmet Lang's underwear at the time. And he obviously had it, was very well known and, and the product was really good, really well made. I mean, the packaging was... We commissioned this amazing artist called Trademark to, who you might know, actually, he does a lot of kind of Maybe, I don't want to say it wrong, but graffiti style painting. Yeah, I've seen stuff, yeah. And um, he, and he was really iconic in the 80s. And he, he painted the model for every cover of our, of our packaging. No expense was spared into this product. So it was, it was a beautiful product and it was totally unique. And yeah, Selfridges loved and, it. And what was your role at that, at that stage? I just did everything <laughs> apart from, um, and because I was from Thailand, we, our factory was in Thailand. So I, I, that was kind of a big role for me developing product, just looking after manufacturing. Cause I could speak Thai and I had that relationship and my, my mother worked in buying and manufacturing also. It was a very steep learning curve for a 22 year old basically for sure yeah but that's like obviously that that crash course has kind of like paved everything for you since right? yeah how to do it and maybe how not to do it but yeah I, I the relationships that I made in that sort of six-year period I had with Will have definitely stayed with me I, I really learned the importance of looking after your relationships keeping in touch with people because now what is it, 15 years later there's still people that I can call on and, you know, you always need advice from people that have done it before you. So yeah, I did, I did that. And then basically Will got really busy with, he wasn't just doing Kylie then he was doing Britney and he was doing Pink's tour and he was doing all these people and getting pulled in a lot of directions. So decided to kind of not carry on with it. So I got made redundant. And I was like, Oh my God, it's like the end of an era. And it was like, it was like a breakup. I mean, he was my mentor and he was my first job. And and I think I remember I asked for three days off after uni ended to go to my graduation ceremony. And he was like, really? <laughs> I was like, hey, yeah, I really, I really need to graduate. It's quite important for me. But I kind of didn't even have time to stop and think if that was what I really wanted to do, because that is just what that was what was happening. And of course, what an amazing opportunity to go on tour with Kylie. But at that point, you know, I hadn't really designed for three years and my peers at uni were, they'd got jobs now at the fashion houses and they were in full-time work. And I was like, oh my God, I literally don't know what to do with myself. So I actually had to start from scratch again. I kind of had enough money to like last 
couple months. My parents cut me off a long time before because I got work because I started working so young. So they were like, you're on your own now. And I was like, okay, thanks. But <laughs> I remember sitting in my flat in Balham where I lived at the time with like white piece of paper. And I was like, okay, I'm going to give myself two months and then I'm going to go to Premier Vision, which is the big fabric fair in, um, in Paris and need to put together a portfolio. I just had to teach myself to draw again. It was really, really hard. That must have been a really scary time. Yeah, it was. Also, you know, you it's like you've been to the top of the mountain and you're back at the bottom and you've like seen the world. You've been on this crazy like life and uh, really privileged position. Did you ever kind of consider, did you ever think, oh, I'm just going to go and get a regular job? I didn't really know what a regular job was. I mean, I came from a family of like lawyers and bankers and stuff and definitely didn't want to do that. So <laughs> I don't know. My parents were always really encouraging. They gave me a lot of opportunity, but they expected a lot. I had a very, very strict Asian mother for anyone that has one knows what that's like. Is <laughs> like, there you go, see the world, but you better do a good job and come back with straight A grades. <laughs> okay. And I think I was kind of raised with the idea that anything is possible if you put your mind to it. So I had a really good fallback family like that. So yeah, I learned to draw again. I look at those prints now and I think, God, they're awful. <laughs> and I went to Paris with this portfolio under my arm. And I mean, if anyone's ever been there, it's this huge airport size fabric fair. And quite often the booths are closed and you need an appointment. So you either have to be a brand or you have to be like a buyer. They definitely don't like random students or freelancers walking on, but I'm a bit ballsy, so I was just like, hi, I'm going to smile and be my charming self, and would you like to see my work? And most of the time they said no. But I sold a few prints, and then I found an agent in that time, and, and I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe if this works, I'll give it a go. And yeah, and then I had an agent who basically, he'd go, he'd travel to New York a couple times a year, and he would sell basically artwork directly to the designers in New York. So Divon Furstenberg, Donna Karen, those people, Armani. And that's it. So I basically started designing print freelance. And then at the same time, some people asked if I could help other people start swimwear and underwear brands. So yeah, that's kind of where that started. So how did you meet the agent? At the that fabric at, fair. At Paris. Yeah. Okay. I was just asking around. I was like, does anyone know an agent? And I met this wonderful man who's almost like the grandfather of textiles called Julius Schofield. He's this beautiful handsomely dressed man in a black turtleneck and beautifully soft-spoken and he was so nice to me and I was like you're the nicest person I've ever met <laughs> and he liked my work and I was like when you sat there and you're like god three months ago I had like a white piece of paper in front of me and this guy thinks that he can sell my work to like Armani this is nuts he was really nice that's yeah. incredible so yeah. if you, had you not put yourself out there and said I'm going to Paris I'm gonna go and do this and then if you'd been in Paris and you had you not kind of just gone and spoken to every single yeah. person that you could yeah like none of this would have happened well exactly but the thing is I knew that like I wasn't above getting a regular job that's not the point the thing is it was pretty touch and go at times you know so it's not cheap living in the city and you're a bit like, oh, maybe I have to be a nanny next week or maybe I have to do this. Or I was kind of like, that was the bigger picture. But I remember doing like much smaller jobs, helping people out a day here, a day there, just doing random Photoshop things or whatever. I think sometimes the problem is like when you went through what I went through, you're like, I'm definitely above taking a normal job. But actually, you know what? I'll just do 
a job that's super easy, pays my bills three days a week. Maybe I would have, I don't know, maybe I would have got somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think giving yourself that that kind of, you ha- you gave yourself no other option. Mm. And I think that's kind of freeing, like you, you had to succeed. Yeah, I think so. But I think also like there have been times where I'm definitely only going to take on work that is going to, that is the type of work that I want to do. Whereas actually I think you think you've built up a name and everything. But actually if doing another type of work enables you to do what you really want to do, I think that's totally fine. You don't have to tell everybody. It's not going to affect your Instagram is all smoke and mirrors anyway, right? <laughs> so I think that's important to say. I think I've, I've had friends who've been like, oh, I've done all this amazing work and I've been published and I'm, you know, just because you're published and you're getting all this press doesn't necessarily mean you're banking, but it might take a while before you do. I've kind of always had that like behind the brand. I've always done consultancy work. I haven't always talked about it. Obviously the clients I have and it works by word of mouth, but cash flow and fashion is like hideous. You have to pay for your production four months ahead of getting paid. And it, that's why so many brands like fail, you know, in the first couple of years because you just can't hack the cash flows. I consider myself lucky that I've got quite a few different skills and I'm not afraid to kind of like use them if I, if I need to really. Yeah. So your agent's out there, he's shopping your, your kind of designs out to people. Yeah. And what was the first kind of, kind of pickup from a, from a big brand? I remember selling some prints to Diane von Furstenberg and I was like, oh, she's my hero. And you know, you study her when you're at uni and she's this legend and her prints are amazing. So yeah, that was pretty good. And, and I remember designing, uh, I did some prints for Osman, who's a British designer screen prints actually I remember both of us being in the print studio and that was pretty good and I was still doing things for Kylie kind of off and on and she's always been like super her and Will have always been like super loyal and they're really great and encouraging kind of young people and and if you're you know it's a bit like karma if you're good to them they'll be good to you really so I've always believed that I think yeah so it sounds to me like a lot of your your success has come from just relationships and just people that you've that you've met. Yeah. You've given your all to them. And yeah. And they've kind of responded by helping you in kind. I think so. I think, I mean, that's kind of how I was raised. I don't know if that's like a, it's a very, it's a very Asian thing, at least I could say, maybe. It's very much like you, you kind of put other people ahead of yourself. I don't know whether you, whether it's fair to say that the kind of Asian versus Western ideal is that in the West, like it's a champion to put yourself first. But I think the way I was raised almost kind of to the detriment of like myself. Sometimes I've always tried to do things for other people first. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's an oxymoron considering that I run my own business and it's got my name on it. I don't know. Does that make any sense? Yeah, totally. So, so talking about having your your own business with with your own name like yeah when did you take that kind of leap to well that I mean the very beginning kind of happened in it by accident so I was offered when Box Park first opened I was offered a pop-up for free for a friend and I was like okay and I'd been working on this print based on a sculpture I saw on the Tate by Fiona Banner it was like this these two huge like decommissioned fighter jets hanging in the middle of the Tate and I remember like one of them was like this old Jaguar I was playing like super shiny and all the rivets were like along the fuselage and stuff and I was like oh so sexy um, and I was like making like 
I was looking at it and I was like, you know, it's a bit like a polka dot, but more structured. And I think my boyfriend at the time was an engineer. So I was like obsessed with all things engineer. <laughs> yeah, I designed this print called the screw print. And I just looked at, and I thought, depending on kind of how you played with it, how you spaced out the screws or how like how you colored them. I kind of thought that really speaks to my like sensibility in print where I think print is should invite people to kind of you should be able to find your personality in print it's so personal you know I'm I'm not someone that likes a ditzy floral is not gonna like a minimal polka dot or the other way around that's a really really bad example but anyway <laughs> and yeah so I basically I was like okay I'm gonna do I have this opportunity I've got a month to pull something together I thought oh I'm gonna make like scarves and sweatshirts and I made some jewelry pieces and the idea was that I've got this one print it comes in like six different varieties and depending on how you like to wear color and print you should be able to find something that you like so for people who aren't from london and um, box park is a pop-up store um kind of made out of um, shipping containers and they have like little pop-up events in each in each kind of container and yeah. so you were offered one for was it for a month no no it was only like i think it was like two weeks or something yeah and so that kind of like lit a fire under you so like yeah and it was mad because i think all those people that i knew when i worked for kylie like they all came out to see it and um we sold really well and and then everyone was like where are you selling and i was like um i didn't even think about that (laughs) (laughs) what stores and then kind of pretty soon after that i got approached by a sales agent a fashion sales showroom who were like we want to develop your work and we want you to show in new york london and paris with us and i was like what and yeah, it, it literally was as if I jumped on a train and was like off. And then the next two years, it blinked. I could have missed it. But I produced like four collections a year for like two years and went on this mad, kind of what happened with the underwear thing, but went on this mad journey of learning all about how you sell in the industry, like all the stores that are out there, the process, delivering, you know, all this kind of thing. I was really lucky because... I had to kind of choose one product because it was just told it was told to me that if you really want to sell into stores, you really need to target one set of buyers. So for me, it was the accessories buyers, and and the scarf is a very good canvas for print, and it's versatile and it's simple. It's essentially like it's like it can be a piece of art, and that's kind of how I thought about my work. That you know, I wanted something that was like a vehicle for for art, and it's funny like. I think about scarves in such a different way now. I think I don't think I was a scarf wearer when I first started the brand, but I was making them. I know that's a really awful thing to say, but it's true. <laughs> but yeah, they were like, you need to put out three, four collections a year before you can get into any good stores. And yeah, I was Do mad. you think that's true? No, but I don't think that's true. Although I think I was basically trying to run before I could walk to be honest, but I was quite naive at the time. I learned so much in the first year, but I think I spent too much money. It was good in the sense that I developed my style really quickly in a very short space of time, but it also, I look back at all those prints I produced then and I was like, nobody knew me then. I produced some really great work and nobody even saw it, you know what I mean? And and in fact, actually, I'm kind of pulling things out of my archive now that, and I'm kind of like redeveloping them. And I think, yeah, I mean, to a point when stores are looking to buy you, I think when buyers are looking to buy you, they want to see that you're consistent and you can deliver every season. But I also just think 
I'm sort of interested now in creating work that lasts a long time. I'm I'm less I've definitely fallen out of love with the seasonal thing a bit, but although it's part of the game and you have to play it like that and it's difficult. It's this kind of like on the one hand people want sustainability, they want longevity, but at the same time they just want newness all the time. They just want to see new stuff all the time and it it kind of really goes against my desire to create a print the original ethos was that I was wanted to create a print that might go on your scarf or it might go on your cushion and live in your home for the rest of your life or it might go on your crockery and it's really difficult unless you're like a house of hackney to sell all those things at the same time next to each other so I definitely had to like choose and and it was like okay I'm signing scarves every season I do a new collection and it was literally like every season I did like a whole new concept which is also something that I don't do now so now I kind of it's it's just continuous and every couple of months I'd show kind of a different section of like work in progress. So for the last year I've I've been doing a thing. Yeah. Do you have evergreen designs that are kind of always available? Yeah. 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 So my screw print, my signature print is always there and yeah, I guess I'm creating a bit of a like hall of fame. But you know, we don't I don't really go on sale on my website. So it's not you know, so so if I add something it's there until we sell out of it. I don't kind of discount it to get rid of it because I'm like it's like your children every time I design a print I'm like this is my child I've given birth to that why would I sell you for cheap (laughs) I mean yeah and then we kind of like the people that know me sometimes like request that you know remember that print you did like a year ago I really love that can you bring that back and and we don't hold loads of stock because I'm really lucky that I print with the same people that I printed with when I started at St. Martin's you know it's been like Night, I don't want to show my age, but 19 years. <laughs> and we don't have big minimums. So there's very little wastage or overconsumption we basically make to order. And, you know, we, we can reproduce things pretty quickly. And it's all printed in Worcester and finished in London. So, yeah. I love that you're, that you're confident in your prices. I, I think with fashion, it's such a, a delicate dance of that when people start sort of kind of heavily discounting, then there can be that that temptation of like I won't buy it now I'll buy it when it's in the sale yeah yeah exactly no that is really tricky I mean you know I'll do like a sample sale sometimes but of our sort of press pieces you know that we've had in the studio and and when that happens you know if I can I like to invite people in the studio to come and see everything and but yeah it's really it's really difficult you know we've just had Black Friday and me and a group of designer comrades are like, what are, do we have to do this discount thing? And, you know, you can't compete with the massive brands that are pushing out all the Facebook ads being like 80% off, rah, 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 you know, because, yeah, because they obviously have like 100,000 more units coming in in January. Whereas like, I, I love what you did with Black Friday, though. So last year you you did it via text message yeah and you sent it out to just select people and said here's the code for black friday but you can share it you can share it with your friends yeah and it kind of went viral almost like by being shared because it was kind of this like secret well it was a secret like you couldn't you couldn't you had to search for this special term on the site and we were literally only selling like i've obviously built up over whatever seven eight collections a pretty hefty archive of of prints and I always we always print you know we always have three press samples basically and I was like it's pretty greedy for me to keep all of this (laughs) so it was only you know so it wasn't even enough to kind of 
So we basically put all put all those pieces back on this like secret section of the website and invited like all those loyal people that have been on my journey with me to shop them. You know, they're all like in pretty pristine condition. But yeah, it just meant that I was like, you know what, it's not from our main stock, but it's all the archive and I'm happy to like sell part of the archive off and now I have more room in my studio. <laughs> yes. It's <laughs> always good. Yeah. So you mentioned the the loyal people that have been on your journey with you. Obviously, like that's been kind of key to, to your success. Yeah. Like, you built up a lot of your business just by using your, your personal Facebook. Yes, because um I grew up in Thailand. So I've kind of always lived between here and here in Bangkok. My parents, my dad's English, my mother was Indonesian and yeah, so I kind of I've traveled between the two all the time and and uh, I'm really good at keeping in touch. <laughs> I probably spend too much time, you know, I get up really early in the morning and check in with my friends in Bangkok and then, you know, I try and make time for my friends here and yeah, I think and I'm always whenever I'm designing stuff, I'm always asking people that are close to me like what they think about my work and, you know, if that speaks to them and your friends are going to be pretty honest if they don't like something. I don't always listen. You know, I really I really value their opinion and I really value... And sometimes it's been really interesting lately because of how I think the way that Instagram works is I never used to share my process. I always used to be like, oh, here's the finished work. Here's the scarf. There you go. And my friends were like, Lise, you send photos of us to us of you painting something in the studio or you drawing. Like, why aren't you sharing that with other people? I'm like, because it just looks really like informal. And when you're selling at market, when you're selling to stores and stuff, you kind of only ever really show the finished product. But actually what people want is like authenticity. And they want, some people are, I'm, I'm amazed when people email me like, you drew that? No way. And I'm like, oh yeah, I draw all the time. But you just feel really dumb sometimes putting this stand over there with your phone on it, filming you drawing. But actually people love to, see that you know like um there's some things you posted on your story not too long ago of kind of like ink and water and all these different colors of flowers and stuff and that was like some of my favorite things that you've put up because i was just like this is just beautiful yeah it's just kind of like real and it's part of your process and it's so interesting to watch yeah and and i I guess sometimes like thank you adam (laughs) (laughs) i sometimes think that because i've got so i've got so much on and maybe like the design bit is to be honest, 20% of what we do. Mm-hmm. You don't take time to document it. And you're just like, oh my God, I've just got this massive deadline to get this collection together. I've just got to get it done and it's out to the printer and everything. And then I've got to think about shooting it. And then I've got to do my line sheet and lookbook and buy price list and email all these buyers where you're always, where actually, if I spent more time over that three week period where I'm designing that collection, actually painting it, I'd have probably six months worth of, <laughs> For worth of uh, sharing to do. Yeah, I think it's so important that there, I was chatting to an artist recently and he was um, taking me through his sketchbook mm. and there was one page that I was just like, this is incredible, like so into it, yeah. love this. And he was like, really? That <laughs> yeah. page? And he was like, like trying to, he was trying to flip on like, cause he had something a few pages on mm. that he was more proud of. And he like, he was like trying to wrestle it out of my hands. I was like, no dude, this is the piece. And I was trying to say to him like, post your process because Art is a is a 50-50 relationship and yeah. however you feel about a piece, someone else is going to feel something else about it. Yeah. And if you feel like, oh, this is not finished or it's not polished or it's not my normal style or whatever, yeah. if you throw it out there, there could be someone who really, really like resonates with it. Yeah. Like I did with that page in his sketchbook. Like I yeah. thought it was incredible. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's also like, 
I sometimes find that when I've been sharing sketches and stuff that it might take somebody else suggesting that you try something in a certain way that actually spurs you on to design something, you know? So I get that when I interview like, you know, students and stuff for internships, I see something in their sketchbook and to them it's something awful. And to me, you know, I'm like, wow, that could be this because I have a different way of thinking maybe to them about process and everything. We all have our own ways. And I'm like, well, why don't you try and do this like that? And I think that is, that's so important. I think, I think I'm braver now to post things that I'm not sure about and then actually ask people what they think because the tendency used to be like, I'm in charge and I know exactly what I'm doing and I'm just going to put out work that I'm sure about. But I think there's definitely merit in sharing your mistakes and experiments, right? 100%. Yeah, yeah I agree. So what percentage of your sales comes through you selling to directly to stores as opposed to like directly to the consumer through your website? It's changed a lot. It's changed a lot. It used to be, it used to be like 70% wholesale, 30% direct. And it's probably flipped now uh, the other way. Because I have a scarf business, I also have a swimwear business, which is mostly based in Thailand. Because I used to focus all my sales out of the UK and really target the kind of UK market. But when I realized there's more sun in Thailand, (laughs) we sold a lot more. (laughs) And when I realized that actually there were people going on holiday every weekend who needed nice swimwear in Bangkok... I was just like, why didn't I work this out like two years ago? So silly. And it's kind of, they're quite separate because I also, when I realized that it was difficult to have them both on the same, on the same social, on the same Instagram, because it's, it's almost like two sides of my split personality. So on the one hand, you know, I, I'm very art based and I love paintings and ink things and I print scarves and all that kind of stuff. And I love going to kind of galleries and everything. And on the other hand, I'm a girl that grew up in the tropics and, you know, and it's also like the art side is, you know, I wear black all the time with maybe a scarf. And uh, on the other side, when I'm home in Thailand, I wear like all the colors of the rainbow. And, um, you know, my whole native Indonesian side comes out and I like wear my hair really messy and just wear like sarongs and live at the beach and and you know why, that- why do you feel like you obviously can't wear a sarong around no <laughs> but like why do you feel like you're, you're only wearing black in the UK I think because like well it's a uniform for a lot of creatives isn't it I think when you put so much color into your work it's better to be like a walking blank canvas you feel like and also, like, who has time? Like, <laughs> I really, I really like black as a, as a non-color, and it, it's a good kind of like base for wearing scarves. I think. I don't know. It's strange. I think it's the weather. Do you think it's the weather? Probably. I don't know. Like me and David are very different. Like I'm a very kind of like simple. Like I'm wearing kind of yeah. completely black now. Yeah. And most of my things are very kind of like grayscale. Yeah. There's not much color that kind of goes in there because to me that's kind of I'd rather just go to my drawer, pick the first thing out, put yeah. on, and it'll yeah. match everything else that I have. Boring. But that's <laughs> also. But it's also I think because I don't go shopping that often. I think if I did go shopping more often, or maybe if I spent more time shopping, I would buy more pattern and printed stuff but because I need the things in my wardrobe to last me a long time I they tend to be monochrome and I think like um love sportswear you know so I I buy trainers a lot 
I'll wear black. I'll wear like a crazy bit of footwear with a scarf. But that's basically my uniform. And then, um, but you know, in Thailand, like it's tropical and you can't wear black. You want to wear color and and uh, yeah, it's a very different different side of me. I think now. Does the streetwear stem from your your love of dance? It does. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Did I mention that before? <laughs> also, yeah. I think I was a massive tomboy as a kid. I played basketball and I was obsessed with Michael Jordan and. Because your designs are super feminine, so have you, uh, have you ever kind of thought about doing anything more sort of streetwear? Uh, like yeah, I mean, I did. It's funny because a lot of my scarf collections are really feminine, but actually the f- screw print is actually very unisex. Mm. And if you put them next to each other, you actually think, God, oh, it's two different, completely separate brands. And I, I struggle with that sometimes from a <laughs> from a content point of view because I think because the things that I want to do with my main prints the main lisa king line and everything that's very like floral and inky and all that kind of stuff i'm like oh yeah i want to do these like crazy plant installations with scarves and blah 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 and then i you know i think about screw print and i'm like oh i just want someone to put that on a trainer and you know and and uh make sportswear for all the people that i dance with it's two very different things so it's still there in the background and the people that know me know it's there like we i did a big I did a big pop-up with a store in Thailand called Suolai last year with screw print. And it was, we did like 20, we did a 25 piece capsule collection across like several different categories. So we did like men's sweatshirts, we did women's like leggings and sportswear. I made like candles, we did luggage tags. We did, I made jumpsuit, hand screen printed jumpsuits with a big screw on the back. And I did this whole like, and I did like, I started a portrait series of like 10 people that I'd really admire wearing screw print in different ways and yeah and I had that on my feed and it looks so different to everything else but I was like oh no this is like it's almost like that's like that kind of explains the way that I approach print I guess you know and I think if I can communicate that to people you know it's about it's I I really think like print should transcend product and surface and I really ideally want to use it as a platform for collaborating with other people that's what I'm really interested in you know I'm interested in designing print for film or putting it as you guys do on the side of buildings you know I think that that's really beautiful and I really like the idea that you can take inspiration from anything and turn it into like pattern and put it on something else that has nothing to do with the original inspiration yeah I think it's difficult with artists like we get put into these boxes and you get expected to produce a certain kind of art. And I think most creative people, like they want to experiment in loads of different ways. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, like you were saying. It's yeah. Like, and I think, um, it must be my age, but obviously I'm, I'm obsessed with homewares now. Who isn't? <laughs> I'm just like, Oh, just want to make cushions and sofas now <laughs> and make things that kind of have more function and longevity. Maybe. I don't think the fashion and fashion interiors world cross over enough, but I think they are a lot more now. Yeah. So um, what's next for you? What's next? Lots of things I can't talk about. (laughs) Come (laughs) give us an exclusive. No, no. (laughs) I've got a new collection coming out in January called Spring Tides. It's very like, uh, it's based on kind of abstract florals. Actually a print I did a while ago. And there's a lot of like, Alexander Calder kind of influence in it 
quite like graphic shapes. And then I've done these prints by freezing flowers and liquid nitrogen. I made some liquid nitrogen, homemade liquid nitrogen in my studio. Don't try that at home. It's really <laughs> dangerous. <laughs> it's not really dangerous. Don't try it at home. It's really bad. But yeah, I like, I'm excited about those because I've always tried to do a floral print, but in a kind of unexpected way. And that kind of freezing flowers and liquid nitrogen isn't a new thing, but I think it is on a scarf. That's it. That, yeah, bringing it to fashion is, is yeah. totally new. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was just really fun because from a distance, it just looks like any kind of floral scarf, but you go in and it's kind of like these broken orchids. And, and I've always been interested in the idea that like there's beauty and imperfection and, and I think things that are broken have their own beauty and yeah. Basically, that's that's one thing I'm that's working on, and then I'm actually working on a kind of installation for a gallery next year, maybe in Paris, in collaboration with uh, somebody else. There's some cool collaborations coming up, but I'm really not allowed to talk about them. Yeah. What would your advice be to um, someone who's a creative person who's they're just kind of starting out their journey? They're maybe getting into fashion and they're not sure. For someone that... That person who sat there with that white piece of paper. Oh, (laughs) I would say, like, hone your basic skills really, really, really well. You're drawing, you're, you know, if it's digital, make sure you're, like, really hot on your, you know, creative suite and everything. Because I think those, the kind of more you progress in your career, the, the better you have to be at doing those quickly, you know? When we're at uni, we have time to, like draw on everything and create when you get to where I am you need to do that whole process in like 10% of the time you know so if you if you when you're first starting you really really work to kind of like at your skill you know your basic skill I think I think the world like really craves that now you know those painters those craftspeople those people that can draw you know I think that that's important and I think I think if I was looking back now I think for me it kind of I got swept along a bit in the journey and it's now that I'm kind of stripping things back and I'm reassessing and I'm I'm making more of a plan, really. I wish I'd made more of a plan before, but then I guess I didn't know everything that was out there, but I would have set some goals. I wish I'd done a business course <laughs> because um, they don't teach you enough that. They don't teach enough of that in uni about, you know, how important it is to know how to run a business and well, I feel like what you learned in that first year of kind of just throwing yourself into it yeah. would probably be way more than you would have ever learned if you'd have kind of gone down a course through of it. Yeah, I guess so. I guess it's like how to kind of, like when you're starting your own business, how to kind of like structure it properly. I mean, they, I've had loads of support from different kind of fashion government bodies giving guidance on investment and and things like that. I think there's a lot of that available to you in your first three years here, which is great. But yeah, there's, it's kind of like, I think that whole thing about being like, well, if you can set yourself, if you, if, if I could have done it before, I think I would have like set myself up with like a regular bill paying job for like two, three days a week and then spent the other time really getting my design work super, super on point until I got to the point where I was like really happy with my portfolio and then I would have gone out there. 
Yeah, I mean, we we just learned business on the job, didn't we? Like we, I mean, Yana, our our business partner, she had sort of more of an idea of how to charge clients and and how to invoice and and all yeah. of that sort of stuff that was that was important. But really, most of it we just learned as we went along. And I think there's a danger of spending too much time planning and preparing for something yeah whereas you gave yourself like you had two months and yeah and, yeah. and I think putting yourself in those situations yeah obviously like the box park thing being huge for you like yeah I, I've got to make a collection for this yeah, box yeah. park pop-up it's happening yeah. now so yeah. I have to do it yeah and being forced into that um for us it was we've got to pay it like Adam was going to get evicted from his house if he didn't pay the rent so we, yeah. we had to get some jobs in we had yeah, yeah. To, we just had yeah. to learn yeah. how to market ourselves how to how to do yeah. business so I think giving yourself like just just throwing yourself into it is is really important like there's a balance like you yeah. need to yeah you need to just go for it and and putting yourself in those situations like going to France being like I'm just going to do this yeah. and yeah, mad things happen if you from didn't that. do that yeah you wouldn't have met those people no exactly and I think and- I mean people ask me all the time you know like students and stuff because I sometimes go back and give like career talks and I think a surrounding yourself with peers I worked at home for a long time at the beginning mm-hmm. I wish I'd work you know taking the leap and set myself up in a studio like a lot earlier because there's so much to be said for surrounding your people surrounding yourself with people that are on the same journey as you and I think like mentors is so are so important I've had loads of mentors in my time you know business mentors creative mentors how does someone find a mentor you write to them (laughs) you go who are my heroes I mean everybody's accessible on Instagram now go and write to that crazy artist that you're obsessed with and just see if you know they might just write back it's mad or you stalk them at freeze art fair I've done that too (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've had, like, people are really flattered. I've had people write to me be like, I love your work. Can I come work for you? And I'm like, okay, really? Okay. <laughs> because I think, especially when you're a student, you know, when you when when you have time and your holidays and stuff, you're not under the pressure of having to, like, work necessarily. Maybe your parents are still helping you out, you know. You use that time to go and be like, can I come and work for you for a month? You're my hero. You learn so much more than you will sitting in front of that weaving loom like I did. <laughs> Amazing. Where can people find you online? So I'm on Instagram, Lisa King London, or Lisa King Swim, if you fancy a trip to the tropics. I'm on Facebook, and then Lisa King London's my website. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We're trying to help a lot of people with this show, so we need your help to grow the community and spread our message. If you know someone who'd benefit from hearing what we talked about today, or they just need a little nudge in the right direction, pass this podcast on to them. If you want to hear more, then subscribe to us on iTunes. And if we helped you with anything, we'll really love you forever if you can leave us an iTunes review. It makes a huge difference. See ya. See ya.